0: Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required.
1: Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything.
0: Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer at iHeartRadio. And how the tech are ya? Yeah, I'm going to stick with that one. And welcome to the first episode of what I'm calling Tech Stuff Tidbits. These will be shorter episodes in which I tackle a particular topic in tech and explain it as quickly as I can, which uh, actually is not fast at all because I'm from the southern region of the United States and we have a predisposition of turning a two-minute story into a 40-minute yarn. So, you know, sit back but I plan on bringing these sorts of episodes in on Wednesdays when I'm not doing like a multi-part episode where I'm covering a really big part in tech. So here we go. And the topic I want to talk about today is the various voltage standards and electric plugs and outlets you find around the world. Uh, In fact, there are a lot of different ones all around the world used by various countries. Sometimes you find different ones within a single country, and that applies both to voltages and to outlets. And anyone who has traveled internationally knows that this is a thing. And it can become a real hassle when you're trying to you know, manage travel because of the different outlets and voltages. So if you bring along something like, I don't know, your favorite hair dryer or a computer or you know a charging cable for your phone, you might find that you can't plug it into anything because the outlets are different and you probably wouldn't want to plug it in if you could because the voltage might be different. You can even destroy electronics if you plug them into an adapter that fits the outlet, but the voltage is drastically different from your home country. And I thought it might be interesting to talk about those different standards and why they exist. Okay, but let's start with a quick refresher on electricity. So when we talk about electricity, we often refer to stuff like voltage and current And I don't know about you, but for me, it can get pretty confusing. I always like to do a refresher on these things. So the analogy folks tend to like to use is you think of it like a water system. So imagine you've got a big old tank of water with a a faucet, like a port at the base of the tank. So if you open that up, it allows water to flow from the tank out. And maybe you've got a, a pipe attached to the tank. This is your classic gravity system that are used by water tanks all over the world. All right, so the amount of water that is flowing through the pipe when you open up the faucet, that's like electric current. The water pressure is like voltage. So as the water level of the tank goes down, the water pressure decreases because there's not as much weight pressing down on the water that's escaping through the pipe. That seems pretty intuitive, right? The water pressure goes down. So you're still having the same amount of water coming through. It's just not being pushed as hard. Now, in electricity, voltage really describes the potential difference in two points of an electrical system or field. And the greater the difference, the greater the voltage. And if the potential difference is small, the voltage is small. It's kind of like that water tank analogy when the water level gets really low. Now, when you want to transmit electricity over long distances, you need a good amount of voltage. You need a good amount of pressure in order to do that. Now, part of the reason for that, there are actually a lot of reasons. We're not going to go into all of them, but part of the reason is that the lines that you use to transmit electricity, you know, the cables, they are not perfect conductors. And if we go back to the water analogy, uh, imagine that the pipes have some like corrosion or maybe some leaks and stuff in them, and this resists the flow of water. Well, in electricity, we see that, too. It's called electrical resistance when you're talking about an imperfect conductor. And conductors under normal conditions are all imperfect. Something else we need to talk about is direct current versus alternating current. And again, we're going to just do really surface level stuff here. So direct current is what you get when you hook a battery up to a simple circuit. Uh, Electricity just flows in one direction. Now, we can describe current as flowing from the positive terminal to the negative terminal even though the flow of electrons is in the opposite direction. It goes negative terminal to positive terminal. But that's something you're going to have to take up with Mr. Benjamin Franklin the next time you see him. The electricity always flows in one direction with direct current. It's like a one-way street. It starts at one terminal, goes through the circuit, ends at the other terminal, that's it. With alternating current, the direction that electricity flows switches many times a second. It reverses. It goes, uh, starts at one terminal and goes to the other and then reverses that. That's going to be part of the discussion here, as in the good old US of A, where a lot of the early work in electricity was taking place, you had people like Nikola Tesla and George Westinghouse making decisions to settle on alternating current and at a frequency of 60 hertz. That is changing the direction that the electricity is flowing in 60 times a second they saw that as being best for transmission. Uh, moreover, Tesla and Westinghouse kind of wanted to transmit at a voltage of 240 volts because it was more efficient. If you were to try and transmit at lower voltages, you had some power loss, which means you weren't, you know, you weren't creating and transmitting electricity as efficiently as you could, which means you were actually having to produce more than what you needed because you were losing stuff along the way. All right. Let's get back to direct current. So in the early days, Thomas Edison, who was Mr. Direct Current, and his 110 volt DC current, that was the only game in town for the most part in the early, early days of the electrification of the United States. And so everything in the ecosystem ran on DC power, including stuff like lamps, you know, the stuff that you would actually want to run on electricity. It was dependent upon DC And DC is pretty simple from an engineering standpoint. Making devices that run natively on direct current is just easier to do than something that runs on alternating current. We technically, for most stuff that runs on AC, for a lot of stuff anyway, not most, a lot of stuff, we have to have a device to convert that from AC to DC before it then goes on to power whatever it is we're using. Edison viewed 110 volts as being a balance between safety and practicality. So he thought of 110 volts as being a low enough voltage that the average person wasn't likely to electrocute themselves while using electricity, and it would also be strong enough to push current out to a decent range. So he thought that the 240 volts that Westinghouse's AC system was proposing was being, you know, dangerous and that it was overkill. At least that's how he he promoted it. It could very well be that he didn't think that and he was just promoting his own because that was what he had to offer. But at any rate, that was the messaging he gave out that 240 volts would be would kill you. By the way, we really got to worry about amps more than volts when you're talking about the deadly nature of electricity But I've talked about in previous episodes. So moving back. DC had one big disadvantage, which is that it is harder to transmit DC over large distances. At least it was back in the day. So it would mean that you would have to build a lot more power plants and you have to locate them close to wherever you were going to be using that electricity, otherwise known as the load. So you would have to have power plants located near neighborhoods because as you moved further away from the power generation facility the voltage would drop off and you would kind of lose pressure, in other words. And the flow wouldn't be strong enough to power the stuff you were plugging in. But AC could take advantage of something that DC couldn't. It could take advantage of transformers. Now, these are simple electrical components that can boost or step up or decrease or step down voltage. It works on a simple electromagnetic principle that I'm not going to go into here because I have covered it Dozens of times in past Tech Stuff episodes. Uh, But the important bit is that with transformers, you can generate electricity and you can send it out at one voltage. You can step that up, you know, step up the voltage uh, hundreds of times if you needed to in order to transmit it across thousands of miles. And then once you start getting close to where the electricity is going to be used, you have other transformers that step down the voltage and send it on to, say, businesses and homes. Now, that's important because if the voltage remained super high the whole way through, the quote-unquote pressure of the electricity would burn out your electronics. Uh, This is what can happen if you just use a simple adapter to plug a device into an outlet in a country that uses a, a you know, higher voltage. So if you're coming from, say, the United States, where the voltage is 120 volts, more on that later, because that's kind of tricky, uh, and you go to, say, the, you know, uh, Europe, where you might run into 220 or 240 volts, and you don't have a way of reducing that voltage, the pressure, that voltage is possibly going to destroy whatever it is you plug into that outlet, even if you have an adapter for it. Um, Or it it may catch on fire. You know, that that kind of stuff. I actually saw an episode of Sorted Food on YouTube recently. Great, great channel, by the way. A bunch of British blokes making food. But I saw an episode on Sorted Food recently where they got a Japanese toaster and they tested it it, it out on a, a, a British outlet and it immediately burnt out the toaster because it was too much voltage. So word to the wise. All right. That's some grounding right there, so to speak. That's a that's a pun. But we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back to talk about voltages and outlets. Working remotely where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required.
1: The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write.
0: Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor.
1: And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu.
0: Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that
1: was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed, straightforward
0: pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber. Live like a geginian. Available wherever you will get your podcasts. Limited to the availability in select areas. Visit at and hypergig for details. Okay, let's get back to talking about Tesla here. He had determined that 240 volts would be a good starting point because it would lead to less power loss when transmitting electricity, but Edison successfully argued that 240 volts would be too dangerous, and ultimately Westinghouse went with a 110 volt AC system in the early days of the electrification of the United States. This would not be as efficient as a 240-volt system would be, but otherwise it worked just as I described. So the U.S. moves forward using 110 volts. And we'll get back to that in a bit. Meanwhile, over in Europe, the various countries were looking at building out their own electric grids, uh, but they came to a similar conclusion to Tesla. Namely, countries discovered that it would be more efficient, and therefore more cheap to operate, if they pushed out electricity at a higher voltage in order to send it to customers. Sure, it might be more dangerous, but the savings were hard to deny. And so European countries largely settled on between 220 to 240 volts for AC transmission. Now, this is in the early part of the 20th century at this point, like late 19th, early 20th century. Now, Europe also departed a little bit from Tesla's vision because Tesla had said, you know, 240 volts at 60 hertz, you know, the frequency of 60 hertz. These countries chose to go with a different frequency. Uh, The United States was at 60 hertz, but most of the countries in Europe went with 50 hertz. Now, there are several stories about why Europe went this way. Uh, Most of them center on the German company AEG, AEG actually traces its history back to Thomas Edison. It it uh, comes out of a company that was founded by Edison uh, in Germany when Edison was expanding his operations throughout the world. One story is that engineers observed that at 40 hertz frequency, you could use that electricity to power a light bulb, but the light bulbs would flicker. You could actually notice that they were flickering, and it's because they were, uh, flickering in in the interval of those uh, reversals of electricity because it's doing it 40 times a second. However, if you increase the frequency to 50 hertz, the flicker was fast enough so that it was imperceptible, right? We would just see it as being a solid light. We couldn't see that it was actually flickering. So that's why they adopted 50 hertz as their standard. However, that's just one story. Another story says that the metric standard sequence that the German engineers were using went 1 to 5, and it wouldn't include 6. And so it would be inconvenient to choose a a, a frequency of 60 hertz because of the metric standard that they were using, so they chose 50 hertz instead. I don't know that that's true. Uh, I honestly don't know that that's actually the case. Uh, These stories could be apocryphal. But, One way or the other, the trend in Europe was to adopt a transmission standard of around 220 to 240 volts and 50 hertz. One thing we can say for certain is that AEG had a pretty strong presence, like almost a monopoly. And so by setting that as their approach, it was probably very influential for other countries in Europe to kind of follow suit. Um... But even with that, I don't mean that every place in Europe adopted a similar standard. Even in the UK, you had a dozen or so competing methods in certain regions, Uh, up, uh, up to like nine, I think, in London at one point, nine or 10. There was a clear need for standardization because it would be kind of a nightmare for pretty much everyone involved if you had all these different outlet designs and voltages and frequencies within a country. You'd have to make stuff for specific regions, or else you would run the risk of your stuff not working for all your customers, or worse, causing a fire or something. It would take the UK decades to adopt a 50 hertz standard, and they only did so after World War II. But in the intervening years, uh, between the very beginning of electrification and World War II, There was an organization called the International Electrotechnical Commission that attempted to create a standardized outlet, voltage, and frequency to be used primarily throughout Europe. The group got to work in the years following World War I, and they were trying to get countries to kind of sign on to this idea of a a, a universal standard. But tensions in Europe grew, not related to electricity, and then we had World War II. And all the, the, you know, the projects of trying to get everybody on the same page, that obviously went on the back burner as all out war was breaking out throughout Europe. Now, by the end of World War II, various countries were pretty entrenched in their own power systems, their outlet designs, voltages, all that kind of stuff. The, uh, convincing countries to abandon the system they had in place in order to adopt a new universal standard was pretty much a lost cause. I mean, every country would want to say, OK, yeah, let's have a universal standard. Let's have it be ours. And everyone else can adopt what we use because we don't want to have to go through the, the incredible expense a- and the um, enormous amount of resources it would take to convert over for us. So everyone else should just get on the same page that we're on. Well, that's what everyone was saying. So you had these established ecosystems, it would be an enormous amount of money and resources in order to switch over to a new method. So nobody did. Uh, These countries also had various colonies and territories around the world. You know, this was still in the days of massive colonization. I mean, we're not out of that now, but it was really prevalent around this era of the 20th century. So the grid systems that were set up in places like Asia and Africa largely mirrored the versions that were present in the colonizers' home countries, thus proliferating those specific implementations around the world. This is why, you know, if you were to travel through Africa, you might encounter different outlets in different countries because at one time or another, they were, you know, an extended territory of like France or England. Now, most of the world operates on the 220 to 240 volt range, Uh, North America and the northeastern half of South America are mostly on the 100 to 127-volt range. And, you know, I said the U.S. had switched to 110 volts. It uh, eventually moved to 120 volts, but ultimately the United States chose the 240 volts for transmission at 60 hertz. But, and this is important, the U.S. also split that 240 volts into two 120 volt circuits once the transmission lines arrive at a building or house. So we still say that the US operates on 120 volts, transmits at 240, but the outlets you see, those are 120 volt outlets. And that's because again, the devices we were using would burn out or worse if we connected them to too high a voltage. But big appliances are a little bit different, you know, stuff like clothes dryers or electric ovens, which require a lot more power than your typical plug-in appliance. These would use a special neutral wire that would allow the appliance to tap, in, tap into both of the 120-volt circuits at the same time. So these special plugs, and if you've ever had to plug in Uh, you know, an oven or a, or a dryer, you've seen these plugs that don't look like anything else in the United States. These plug into outlets that provide the full 240 volts of electricity, uh, because it needs that level of quote unquote pressure to operate. So this is why, you know, you often have to buy a plug for some of these. They don't necessarily come with them. I should also do an episode about how for the longest time, uh, Electronics in the UK didn't come with their own plugs. They came with a wire, a copper wire, and you had to wire up the plug yourself, but that's for a different episode. The US version of an outlet, by the way, is either the type A or the type B. Uh, Type A is the kind that has just two slots in it. The type B is the one that has two slots plus the uh, round ground wire approach, Uh, So when you go to different countries, you might need more than just an adapter to plug your electronics in. You might need a transformer so that you can change the voltage in an effort to, you know, not turn your toaster into a flamethrower or whatever, or alternatively, make sure your toaster gets enough juice so that it can toast bread. And that is why that happened. Because everybody was building out their power grids around the same time and, uh, they all kind of adopted their own internal standards and it got to be a big old mess. Okay, that's the first of Tech Stuff Tidbits. We're gonna do more of these in the future on Wednesdays. Hope you enjoyed it. If you have suggestions for topics, please reach out to me on Twitter. The handle is techstuffhsw and I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production.